Today's scripture is Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, the birth, the birth of Jesus the Messiah. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he, sh for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, this week, of course, we are continuing on learning about the different angels that appeared to important people in the birth of Jesus. This week, we jumped from Luke's gospel over to Matthew's gospel and read some of the birth of Jesus as it is according to Matthew. You may have noticed I skipped about 17 verses there before our scripture reading picked up today. I skipped these because they're full of genealogy. And typically in the Bible, we do skip over them. But I want to mention some of the people who are listed in this genealogy that Matthew writes in his gospel. Matthew does something different. He lists four women in his genealogy. He lists Tamar, who goes clear back to the time of Genesis. Rahab, who we read about in Joshua. He lists Ruth in there, who of course we read about in the book of Ruth. And he lists the wife of Uriah, who we all know as Bathsheba. Remember the one that David looked out over and sent her husband off to war, hoping that he would be killed and then ended up having a child with her. These women are important people in the life of Jesus, in the ministry of Jesus. It is important that they are listed. We learn about who they became mothers to and when they became mothers. They all had a very integral part. A part that would lead up to the birth of this Messiah, the one who would change the world forever. I often think back and reflect on people who have influenced my own life in so many ways. I think that you could perhaps call these the genealogy of your own Christian faith. I could name a lot of amazing people. A whole lot of amazing people. Sometimes these people are ones who help us understand our life dreams. They encourage us. They support us. Sometimes dreams in our life 
don't make a lot of sense, just like it was for Joseph. When I think about dreams, usually I think about the ones that we have while we're asleep, just like Joseph did in the scripture reading. Dreams can be so bizarre. There's those dreams that feel so very real, and you wake up and you think that you've slept for four days, or you wake up expecting to be on a beach or wherever you have been in your dream. Sometimes dreams can jar you awake because they're really nightmares and you wake up terrified that something has happened to one of your children or your spouse or that your house is on fire. Dreams can be so amazing. But sometimes they don't make sense at all. There was a dream I used to have often when I was a little kid. And I still do not understand this dream. It was of this 12-story building. The whole building was made of glass. And all of the corners that came together were held together by red pipe. And every time that I had this dream, multiple times, over and over. So there's got to be some meaning to that. I just don't know what it is. But I was always tasked with having to get to the top of this 12-story glass building. And up in the top, there was a hippopotamus. And my job was to rescue him and bring him all the way down without breaking the glass. I never did make it down. I always woke up before I know how it concluded. Dreams are wild. I think that this dream that Joseph had was a very, very wild one too. I cannot imagine going through everything that he was going through at that time and then waking up and trying to decide, was that really the angel of the Lord or was this really just a crazy dream? I probably would have tended to go more that crazy dream route. But that's not the way that Joseph went. As you all know, I've been inviting special guests to come and help us understand the stories each week and the scripture. And this week, I have a very, very extra special guest who is going to be joining us. This special guest was one of those people in my walk of faith genealogy. His name is Scott Barnum. He was a fantastic mentor, a very good friend of mine. He was one of the people that were there from the time before I was a pastor and encouraged me every step of the way. He made a huge impact in my life. And not only in my life, but in the whole entire Colby Church there in Kansas, he was an integral part. If it needed fixed, he did it. If he needed to preach, he did it. He was just the go-to for everything. And he was amazing on the conference level too. He taught many lay leadership classes. He served on multiple conference committees. He was just an amazing, amazing person. Unfortunately, he passed away unexpectedly about a year ago, just before Thanksgiving. But I am so grateful that in 2016, the two of us did a sermon similar to the sermon series that I'm doing now. And he wrote down and preached his first-person perspective of what he thought Joseph may have been going through at that time. So my guest today, helping us understand our scripture, is my wonderful friend, Scott Barnum, who's going to be joining us through video. And it will zoom out. We, uh, they were zoomed in on me while I was preaching, so it will zoom out on him here in a second.
just a few days ago, all was good, actually. My father was so pleased with me, I finally seemed to be getting it right. Many of you probably know what I mean. Because you see, I'm, I'm engaged to be married to Mary, or maybe not. Our long courtship was picture perfect, and our two families had agreed that this marriage was made in heaven, and it should happen. We made the public announcement that we were pledged and soon to be married. Preparations were being made, and even though none of us had much for money, we, we knew that this would be the celebration of a lifetime. Well, the, uh, the band had been hired, the, the tent rental had been arranged, the fatted calf awaits, and, and even my uncle, he'd offered to provide the wine. But now Mary tells me she's pregnant. How can this even be possible? I've done everything right. Mary and I have not come together. How, how can this be possible? You would think that there is only one way, that Mary has been unfaithful, and maybe so. There's no other human way to explain this. I, I just know that I've tried to do everything right. I so badly want to be right. This is so important to my family. They don't want the humiliation, and neither do I. My father has threatened to kick me out of the house and disown me, and I guess I, I don't blame him. I would probably feel the same. look at Mary. She doesn't look pregnant. But she tells me of this crazy story of this angel telling her that it is so. And she believes the angel to the point that, that she is saying to me that as a declaration that she is pregnant. And she was sick this morning. But I was so questioning this whole angel thing that, that all I knew was that if there was any truth to this pregnant thing, then I wanted nothing to do with it. Think of the disgrace. I, I don't like it, but our culture gives me two options. I can quietly divorce Mary or or have her stoned, or both. That would certainly get me out of a bind and, and save my family at least some of the embarrassment, but I can't have her stoned. That seems way too hard a punishment, and after all, I do still love her. But I'm so disillusioned, so so confused, so betrayed, embarrassed, and humiliated, I feel like crawling under a rock and hiding there for the next 20 years. I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard spot. So I guess I had pretty much decided that I would just divorce her and let her go at that. Be done with it. In the darkness of my rock, I hoped that I would get over this and move on if given enough time. But then last night, in a dream, this angel appeared. 
tells me, do not be afraid. Yeah, like, right, you waltz into my night and tell me not to be afraid. But this angel tells me that I should go ahead and take Mary home as my wife. Because what is conceived in her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Holy what? And this angel goes on to say that this will be a son and then dictates that we are to name him Jesus because this means the Lord saves. Because he will save us from our sins. This whole thing sounds like one great big sin to begin with. My my head is about to explode, but then I begin I get to thinking this sounds vaguely familiar. The prophet Isaiah, maybe? The ancient scrolls talk of Isaiah saying that a child will be born of a virgin and will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Mary said her angel told her. Emmanuel, my God, if this is true, then this isn't the result of some great big sin, but the Holy Scriptures being fulfilled, and, and we have one big part in it. But I have no proof of this. Just Mary's crazy story and my crazy dream of the angel. On one hand, it, quite frankly, it seems like a load of garbage. Yet on the other hand, what if this is true? What if it's not true? Maybe that stoning option would be better and be done with all this craziness. But what about that God thing? God is with us. If that's true, then how can I have that blood on my hands? But where's the proof? If this is indeed God's work at hand, then together Mary and I carry the biggest responsibility ever conceived, but where's the proof? This is asking an awful lot. Is this Jesus being born to set people free? Free from our fears and sins? And this child will save us from our sins? Maybe I don't need saved like this. I give my fair share of sacrifices. I don't need saved. I'm fine with things just the way they are. Thank you very much. How dare God come into my life like this? He's got no right to do that. But what if the angel is right? And I do need saved. What to do? You know how it is, if you let that cat out of the bag, you're not going to get it back in there now, is there? Divorcing Mary would be the easy way out. I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. What's the point to this? What's the significance? Is there something I should know about this Jesus? Born a child and yet a king? Is it possible that this child we would deliver might someday deliver us?
Joseph acts on not the letter of the law, the law of the land, but he acts on love and on faith. At the time, it was written that he really had no other option. It made absolutely no sense that Mary could be pregnant without being unfaithful to him. And the only option written down in the law of the land was that he had to divorce her or stone her to death or both. But because this messenger came to him, it made him begin to question what was written in the law. It made him begin to question the way that things had always been and think about the what ifs. What if this angel is right? What if I follow this plan that God has for me? It was a big leap of faith, a very big leap of faith. But he went all in and he did exactly what the angel told him he should do. You know, Joseph actually ends up having three dreams that we read about in the scriptures. He has this first one where the angel tells him that he should marry Mary, and he does. He has a second dream after Jesus is born. Remember, after Jesus is born, King Herod was very, very threatened by the birth of this king of the Jews and the Messiah. So he wanted him killed. And the angel of the Lord again appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him to flee to Egypt. And so they do. Then while they're in Egypt, after King Herod dies, the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph again in a third dream and tells them that it's safe to return home. But they don't go back to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Instead, they go back to that city in Galilee, Nazareth. And that's where, of course, they set up their home again. That's actually where they came from when they went to Bethlehem. But they go back there and they establish their home. And then the story goes on. The wise man, you know, Jesus ends up being 12 years old in the temple. And we start learning more and more about Jesus's life. Something that's interesting about Joseph is we actually have no dialogue know any clue or hint of what Joseph's words were at that time. From Mary, we get her beautiful song, we have her thoughts, we have conversations between Elizabeth, we, with Zachariah, if you remember a few weeks ago, we have him questioning the angel. But we don't get that with Joseph. Instead, what we get with Joseph is this example this example of his actions, that he accepted his call and he did exactly what God had asked him to do. Despite going against the law of the land and the way that things always had been, he got on board to do something new. Now Joseph had a very, very important job in the life of Jesus. Even though we don't get to have any conversations between him and Jesus, we don't even really have conversation between him and Mary, he had an extremely important job. His job was to protect the Christ child. As I think about how that applies to our lives today, I think that all of us have a job to protect the church and to protect the Christ child still today. 
There are many Herods in the world, so to speak, ones that want to see this church dead, want to see it fall apart. Not this physical church, but the church overall, of course. Ones that just believe that Christianity is a whole lot of garbage and nothing. They want it dissolved. We see this in our own United Methodist denomination right now. We can't agree on homosexuality. So a lot of clergy and churches are leaving and disaffiliating and joining a whole new denomination. It's hard when our traditions are threatened, when our beliefs are threatened to stand our ground. But I believe that each one of us are called to get on board and say, I'm all in and I'm going to do this really, really hard thing that Christ has asked me to do. Maybe that means speaking up for somebody who is underprivileged, somebody that we know is in an abusive situation, offering them help and trying to get them out. Maybe that means that we make sure that we feed the hungry. There are so many children living in poverty in Shoto. Maybe we reach out and say, hey, would you guys like to come over for a meal? And it doesn't even have to be children. These can be families, grown adults that might not have enough to have a good meal. We can give to our food bank. We can make sure that they have the resources. But sometimes it also means that we personally can reach out and say, hey, would you like to come to dinner with me? We can also step up and stand up against the injustices in the world, against racism. We can help fight the cause for giving the homeless over in Great Falls a safe place to live. We might not agree with everything that has happened and has kind of been a political issue on the news over in Great Falls, but our own Methodist Church, First UMC there in Great Falls, is one of our connections. And we could find out, how can we support them? How can we make a difference in this world? Show somebody else who Christ is. There are so many ways that we can step up and that we can demonstrate the love of Christ to others and that we can protect what we know Christ has called us to do, even if it's difficult really difficult and maybe it goes against the way that things have always been because it's always been okay just to turn a shoulder or act like it doesn't exist to live life in our blinders i think that each of us have this call to step up and to do something big and so as these messengers come into your life and they encourage you and they give you a little hint that says, hey, I think that you should help me with this. Or do you know about this? Let's do something about it. We can sit there and we can listen and we can think to ourselves, well, it'd be a whole lot easier not to do that. A whole lot easier just to do what we've always done and go about our business. Divorce it like Joseph talked about. Or we can take an act of faith and step out and do something a little bit different to say, I'm all in. Wherever you ask me to go, Lord, I'm going to go. Whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to protect your church. I'm going to protect the Christ child. And I'm going to show others the love of Christ. Amen.